This is Macro Horizons, episode 103, Peaked Early, presented by BMO Capital Markets. I'm your host, Ian Lingen, here with Ben Jeffrey to bring you our thoughts from the trading desk for the upcoming week of January 19th. As we ponder the probability that 10-year yields retest 119 in short order, we're reminded that repricings are like a box of chocolates, rewarding at first, but in the end, a sticky mess that requires effort to reverse the damage. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Each week, we offer an updated view on the U.S. rates market and a bad joke or two. But more importantly, the show is centered on responding directly to questions submitted by listeners and clients. We also end each show with our musings on the week ahead. Please feel free to reach out on Bloomberg or email me at ian.lyngen at bmo.com with questions for future episodes. We value your input and hope to keep the show as interactive as possible. So that being said, let's get started. In the week just past, the Treasury market saw a very meaningful repricing or continuation of the repricing that started with 2021. 10-year yields got as high as 1.19%, which for the time being at least will mark the upper bound for the trading range that we expect to remain in place for the next several weeks. Now, accompanying this relatively volatile week in treasuries, we saw a very strong reception to the 10-year reopening auction of $38 billion. The stop-through was seven-tenths of a basis point. Similarly, the 30-year of $24 billion stopped through 1.4 basis points. This ultimately served to reinforce the range and mark the departure for a bull flattening that brought 10-year yields back to 107, give or take. On the data front, we saw a relatively benign core inflation print of one-tenth of a percent for the month of December. Now, this is relevant insofar as part of the big 2021 trade is this reflationary narrative in which all the stimulus that has been put into the system ultimately leads to upward pressure on consumer prices. Now, the fact that this didn't materialize in December isn't particularly troubling for those assumptions. More importantly, we'll continue to draw the distinction between realized inflation and inflation expectations. As long as inflation expectations for the out years continue to remain elevated, certainly by the standards of 2020, that will keep in play this steepening bias in the treasury market. As we saw on Friday, an increase in inflation expectations as evidenced by the University of Michigan survey, one-year inflation expectations increased to 3% from 2.5, and 5- to 10-year expectations increased to 2.7 from 2.5. This will surely serve to further reinforce the upward pressure on break-evens, with 10-year break-even solidly above 210 as we head into the weekend. There were two major disappointments on the economic data front. One was retail sales on Friday, which showed a sharp decrease in the control group for that series. Now, this is important because it marks the third consecutive drop encompassing all of the fourth quarter. Now, given the relevance of consumption to the overall state of the economy, if anything, this will put a downward bias on some of the estimates for fourth quarter growth. 
We also saw initial jobless claims nearing the 1 million mark, which serves as a reminder that there's still a fair amount of slack in the labor market as the pandemic continues to define the agenda for the real economy. So what happened to 125? We'll get to 125 in 10-year yields sometime in 2021. But the key takeaway from the week just passed was that it will not occur in the first two weeks of January. And I actually think that we'll struggle to see a retest of that 119 level in 10-year yields for the next several weeks at least. If we think about what we have on the horizon, there's really very little of note for the next week or so. The Fed isn't going to do anything at their FOMC meeting. So we're really left just to trade expectations for what will probably be a pretty uninspired fourth quarter GDP print on the 28th of January. And while we didn't get to 125 right out of the gate to start the new year, that's not to say this past week didn't reveal some pretty important information, most notable of which was December's retail sales data, which showed the fourth largest monthly drop in the control group, which corresponds most closely to consumption and GDP, on record. This at a time that is traditionally associated with the holiday shopping season, and the disappointment really raises the specter of what could be a pretty disappointing fourth quarter growth profile. Yeah, I think that the phrase underwhelming is going to be most useful in this context because we do have some sectors of the economy that will continue to perform. But given the relevance of goods consumption at this point in the recovery, I think it's safe to say that people will be ratcheting back their expectations for overall growth for 2021. And that brings us to what was another core topic this week, which is the debate surrounding the timing of the FOMC's decision to begin tapering its bond buying. We heard from Rafael Bostic, who said that he would be open to beginning the wind down of purchases as early as the end of 2021, which I would argue contributed, at least on the margin, to 10-year yields run up to that 119 level we saw just before the reopening auction. We also had offsetting comments from Vice Chair Clarita, who noted that the size and composition of QE is going to remain stable throughout the year. That corresponded with when we saw rates peak and a bit of bull flattening start to reemerge in the treasury market, which really did define the course of the week that just passed. And especially after taking into account the retail sales data, the economic realities sure in December, but still the slow economic progress out of the pandemic is going to advocate for accommodative monetary policy for the foreseeable future. And in addition to Vice Chair Clarita's comments, Powell made a very crucial point in his remarks, which is that in order to sustain Fed credibility concerning their new framework, once inflation does begin to pick up and eventually cross that 2% target level, even then, the Fed is going to need to remain patient and taking away any accommodation simply to reinforce their credibility on the new inflation framework. It's interesting that the knee-jerk trade following Powell's comments was actually a steeper curve, and it was a bear steepener at that. It does follow intuitively, because what the Fed is saying is that they're going to keep front-end rates lower for much longer than we've seen in prior cycles, even if inflation eventually comes back into the system. That is, by definition, a steepener. What is notable, however, is that the steepener that we saw in the wake of Powell all occurred well within the defined range that had already been in place. So if anything, the recent price action simply serves to reinforce our ongoing range trading thesis as 2021 unfolds. I also think it's worth highlighting that we did get the break of 1% that was driven by 
optimism for the year ahead. This is very consistent with the seasonal patterns. And the question now becomes, how much more upward momentum for rates will we see in the first quarter? Or will 119 mark the upper bound for the time being? And the context of risk assets performance alongside this increase in yields is also important in gauging the reaction function going forward. The fact that rates rose to their highest level since the pandemic began, but yet equities were able to stay basically within striking distance of the all-time highs, adds a degree of sustainability to this bearish repricing we've seen to begin the new year. Instrumental in this logic is the delayed blue sweep and aspirations around what has been proposed to be a $1.9 trillion third round of fiscal stimulus. But nonetheless, this sort of equilibrium that we've settled into in the first two weeks of the year has been encouraging in keeping financial conditions easy, at least from the Fed's perspective. I was actually pretty surprised that we didn't see a more significant risk on impulse resulting from the fiscal numbers. $1.9 trillion for the Biden deal created some pretty impressive headlines, and stocks didn't even budge. In fact, equities were off a bit on that. And I would argue that a fair amount of the muted response was a function of concerns about how quickly such a deal is able to actually make it through Congress. Yes, we did see a delayed blue sweep, but the fact of the matter remains that even within the Democratic Party, it stands to reason that there will still be some pushback on some of the more dramatic aspects of the package. The more than doubling of minimum wage comes to mind. Yes, Ben, that means that you're getting a raise. And we've already seen lawmakers on both sides of the aisle come out and make exactly that point, Ian. Just as an example, Senator Rubio was on record saying that while he supports more direct payments, there's other aspects of such a large package that he disagrees with. Clearly, this line of thinking is not isolated to just a few senators. So while the initiative for more fiscal aid is encouraging from an economic support perspective, the fact that so many facets of the agenda are all encompassed in this bill does extend the timeline that will likely be required to get some form of an agreement on the law books. I think it's probably a pretty low likelihood event that everything proposed by President-elect Biden ultimately makes it through. And that means that over the coming weeks, headline watching from D.C. will probably still be relevant. And the disappointing retail sales actually stresses the need for additional fiscal stimulus given the winter wave of the pandemic and the reality that the real economy continues to struggle. Translating this to the rates market, it's very consistent with the fade of the initial upward pressure on 10 and 30-year yields. It also bodes well for our assumption that at some point in the coming months, we will see a retest of that 75 basis point level in 10s. For the time being, repricing above 1% will continue to dominate the macro narrative, but as we think about the next couple months, we will start to get a better sense for just how poor the real economy is performing. And this week's reopening auctions can also take a little bit of credit for the moves we saw and the bull flattening reversal that really became thematic in the later part of the week. The strength of the bid that met both 10s and 30s was remarkable. In 30s case, we saw the highest non-dealer sponsorship on record at a time when 30-year yields are still well below 2%. It wasn't that long ago that that would have been almost unthinkable, but yet two very robust auctions for duration this week supports this idea that demand is waiting at higher yield levels and will ultimately serve to limit the extent that rates can rise over the balance of the year. That clearly doesn't take a retest of 119 or break of 119 off the table, but rather it will make a paradigm shift back to 2% tens, extremely difficult in the medium term. 
2% tends to be sure. I worry that the strength of the economic headwinds will prevent us from getting to 150 before we see the equity market start to wobble as a result. It's also notable that if we look at 10-year yields at the current levels hedged into yen for the Japanese investor base, we see the highest yielding treasury opportunities for the Japanese investor since 2017 at roughly 75 basis points. Keep in mind that throughout the bulk of 2020, hedged yields were actually negative for Japanese investors, and they were still adding duration exposure. I suspect that when the final data comes out, we'll see that the foreign bid was very significant at the January reopening of 10 years. So taking all of this into account and going into a short week without any real top-tier fundamental inputs, what's our bias? Long, short, flattener, steepener? In all seriousness, I think that what we have seen play out during the first two weeks of the year was really a culmination of the most bearish factors that the treasury market might have experienced. And the fact that even in that environment, 10-year yields failed to break 120, that certainly reinforces the range trading notion. And I'd expect that the next week will be spent with treasuries consolidating within the range. For tins, that range will be between 1% and 115, let's call it, with a bias for bull flattening in the very near term. But as everyone's favorite Keynesian adage reminds us, in the long run, we're all immune? Yep, that's the one. In the week ahead, the holiday-shortened trading week has very little economic data of note. We do see existing home sales on Friday, but, but overall as a theme, we will be focused elsewhere. The drama that continues to play out in Washington will be relevant, and it's notable that the $1.9 trillion in proposed stimulus hasn't had a greater upside impact on risk assets. Now, this could simply have been a buy-the-rumor-sell-the-fact dynamic. However, we're not operating on the assumption that everything in the proposal will go through as is and expect that the political process will drag out, thereby reducing expectations for an immediate boost to consumption in the first quarter. The spending profile overall in Q4 suggests that additional stimulus will be needed, especially if lawmakers have the objective of bridging the gap to the end of the pandemic. Progress on the vaccination front, while steady, continues to be in the early stages, and we have yet to see a leg higher in any optimism associated with the reopening of the real economy. Instead, the winter wave continues to lead to additional closures and restrictions, and thereby curtailing any upside for the real economy. As we ponder the near-term direction for treasuries, Range consolidation appears to be the path of least resistance. On the upside for rates, the 119 level in 10-year yields will remain a key line in the sand and 1% in the event that we see a more significant rally. The price action has worked off a fair amount of the oversold momentum that was evident in stochastics when we look at 10s and 30s, which implies that the period of consolidation could resolve with another push toward higher rates. That said, our current stance is given the relatively empty calendar, the price action itself could prove to be the event. And as we skew the risks, a bullish period where 10-year yields managed to slip below 1% could easily serve as a departure point for a more aggressive bull flattening. 
We've reached the point in this week's episode where we'd like to offer our sincere thanks and condolences to anyone who has managed to make it this far. And as we face down a winter working from home, we gain new respect for the voyagers of years past who spent weeks alone on the high seas. But at least we have you, right, Wilson? Wilson! Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Please visit us at bmocm.com backslash macrohorizons. As we aspire to keep our strategy effort as interactive as possible, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. So please email me directly with any feedback at ian.lingen at bmo.com. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show has been produced and edited by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.